What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, the Red Nation News Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Now, before we get into our regular scheduled programming, I just want to take a quick minute to talk about the structure of this podcast. So normally, I'll have a guest on and I'll have a contingency plan, uh, a backup for my backup. And what happened this week is they all fell through. And I started the podcast by myself. And then later on in the day, I found out that Forrest was available to podcast. So you'll hear me mention off the top that I am doing the podcast by myself. That is not correct. That's only the first 13 minute and then Forrest comes in later. So I'll go ahead and put a timestamp in the video if you want to skip over that. Although I think you should listen to the whole podcast because uh, I give my thoughts on Kobe in the beginning of the podcast. But yeah, that's it. Uh, This podcast is just stitched together a little bit. But yeah, let's go ahead and get to the programming. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. What's up, guys? We're going to choose podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. And I'm not joined by anybody today because this is one of those rare occasions where Forrest is busy, all my guests are busy. Like, I have no guests today. I've tried several times this week to get guests. It's just one of those rare occasions where literally everyone is busy. So it's just going to be me today. Um, and there's obviously a lot to discuss. It's been a heavy week. Uh, to say the least, and I guess we should probably start there. Uh, Kobe Bryant uh, tragically died in a helicopter crash on Sunday, uh, along with eight other people, including his daughter, Gianna Bryant. Um, And that's really where the tragedy begins, right? Like, that's... 13 years old is just... That's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking. I mean, she, Gianna didn't really get to live a life. Like, you know, I, you you read and you hear all this stuff about how Kobe's lived this complete life. And to some extent, he has. But, I mean, Gianna, like, I, Gianna was just getting started in her life. Like, she had clearly big things ahead of her. And it's unfortunate that that got cut, shut, that that got cut short. And the other daughter on that plane and Kobe was just starting to figure out what he was going to do post retirement. Like he finally looked, you know, Kobe never to me in his playing career 
ever looked sated. And what I mean by that is he was just never satisfied and never really had a direction. He looked in in his in the last couple of years of his life and it just sounds so cryptic to say that. He just looked very comfortable. Um and he looked very ready for what's next. And that that was just new for Kobe. I I I when Kobe was playing, I could never imagine him post retirement. I I just I just didn't know what to expect from him. And it looked like he was starting to find a direction, you know, perhaps in storytelling or with kids and with the, with the Mamba Academy and with the children's book he was going to come out with and it's it's so sad it's so sad particularly if you look at everybody all the victims like they all had decades of life ahead of them and i was just expecting to see kobe in my to have kobe in my life for the next 30 to 40 years like that like we do with all nba legends like we as an nba community we don't lose our legends that often and it's been a point that's been noted and it's still very sad every time it's noted like we lost one of our legends before he got to grow old with us you know we still have bill russell you know we still have kareem abdul jabbar we still have a lot of some of the greatest players of of all time with us and like that that that's what's particularly tough about this right like Kobe was just starting to come back into the NBA fold. He was starting to come to more games. He was starting to uh, introduce his daughter Gianna to us. And now it, it, it seems like we're never going to see what Gianna grows up to be. And that's incredibly sad. Um, yeah, well, when this tragedy, like when I got news of this, like I, I just came back from a youth basketball event. So I was, have, I was having a great, great day. And I, I went home, took a nap, and I was woken up with the news, and I was just shell-shocked. Like, completely shell-shocked. And to me, seeing that picture in front of the Staples Center uh, with Kobe's face in black and white and seeing, you know, his birthday to 2020, like, the, that to me was so surreal. And it, 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 I just... I didn't even know how to absorb that and I'm seeing a lot of people talk about this and you know it, it, it's it's a little it's a little comforting that other people felt the same way like you just didn't know what to do you're frozen you know like it's and the the thing to me is like when the news broke like obviously TMZ broke the news and that's what like you know a lot of people kind of rushed to conclusions that perhaps this wasn't true and you know, T- unfortunately, like TMZ's over the last decade, they've gotten like everything right in terms of the celebrity deaths. And that I was, uh, you know, I- I'm with you. I-, I wanted it to not be true too, but I-, I knew it wasn't because even like hearing helicopter crash, like I remember Kobe in his playing career used to take that helicopter to the Staples Center. So the idea that he would, uh, this would be a way he perished. Uh, was not you know like it wasn't new to me like that completely seemed viable and I I I knew it was true and it it just man it it was tough like and I wasn't even a Kobe Bryant fan you know I despise the man I get not the man 
I, I despise the player. Um, I rooted against him at every turn. I thought of the, the Los Angeles Lakers as the evil empire, as we all do in sports. Like that's that's like the Lakers are the team. Um, they're like the sibling that only we're allowed to bully. We're only we're allowed to hurt in the NBA community. Like uh, other people can't do that for it. Like when other people do that, we get angry. Like and that that's how I always felt about Kobe and the Lakers. Like like we're allowed to make jokes at their expense, but it, it, it's all in good humor. Like it's all in good fun. Like it, it's the same way you would pick on a sibling. Like and yeah, like I, I root against Kobe at every turn. Um, I thought he was arrogant, which he was. It's uh, it's okay to talk about him like this, but it, but you know he was, and um, and you know like that. I was surprised at how much it took me aback because you know it's like a piece of you. Like my NBA watching career had not existed without Kobe Bryant until a couple of years ago, and like that that that's the the fact that we're not gonna see Kobe with us for the next 20 30 years as I said earlier that that's incredibly tough um this was a this was this was a hard week the, that first day I couldn't even check social media like I I couldn't watch the videos it was t- I I I I stayed off of it um you know and we all we all have a propensity in society today to move incredibly fast and you know like it's days like that where I just wish we moved like 10 steps slower like l- let let me digest this before i start watching tribute videos or uh old games you know like like just give me a day g- g- give me a day and you know the next day i started watching old kobe games um yeah i mean this guy was a fantastic player you don't need me to tell you that i mean he was one of the 15 greatest players of all time um one thing I remember from my, from my childhood actually is uh, when I was in high school I uh, I checked out a, a Kobe book from the library and this was like when Kobe was at, at the peak of his powers and I remember reading in Italy that he would play basketball against his shadow because everybody in Italy played soccer and didn't want to play pickup basketball with him so he would practice practice against his shadow and I you know as a kid you know you you're stupid you try different things like so i tried that for like a couple of days I, I went to my backyard i tried that for like one, a day or two and then like after like this like the second day i was just like this guy is just, just a psychopath like I, I i can't even imagine doing this for any any longer like this is just something that totally kobe would totally do and i can't do like no, nobody like, nobody in their right mind would think to do that play against their own shadow but um yeah that was kobe uh, that was Kobe. Uh, the biting the jersey, like that, like all the iconic moments, like it, they all came flooded back to me. Um, you know his 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 footwork. I mean his footwork in general in NBA history, it gets overlooked. It's some of the greatest footwork of all time. You're talking about like it's it's up there with like Hakeem and um, and Kevin McHale in terms of like the greatest footwork of all time. Like he he has some of the. It, it, it's beautiful like it really is it, it's it's something you'd like to you you'd like to teach to you know kids growing up playing basketball like just watching the way he jab stepped the watching this the way he felt his defender on his legs but when he when he played when he was like in the post it, it just it was 
very textbook and very, um, you know, like it wasn't a surprise to me that Kobe before the Achilles was aging really gracefully, like fine wine. Like, and I'm, I think that's what gets overlooked a lot when we talk about Kobe. Like we all remember old man Kobe, but old man Kobe only existed because he tore his Achilles. Like he, he was going to age really well. Those last two years were going to be really nice for him. I like he was aging, you know, people talk about how well Duncan aged, going into the twilight of his career Kobe was aging just as well and it, it was to the point where if you just got uh like if the Lakers were any sort of competent towards you know the end of his tenure they, they could have fielded a pretty good team around him but unfortunately they weren't um and uh we had to see what amounted to a very sad Lakers team but you know like you know this week's not about that this week's not about uh, how depressing those Lakers teams were. It's remembering how great Kobe Bryant the player was, uh, how complicated Kobe Bryant the, the person was. Uh, I, I am not naive to um, the gray areas in discussing him uh, as a character, but I mean, I I, I just I, I don't feel qualified enough to discuss all that right now, right here. Um, and a, a lot of people smarter than me. Uh, have went into depths into you know Colorado and um, all the, the the you know the rape allegations, the very very serious allegations that Kobe had against to him in the early two thousands. Um, so I just I, like you know personally like, I I just want to remember Kobe the player and and understand what happened back then. Um, but yeah, I mean. This was a hard week. It really was. Um, it really doesn't matter where your fandom lies. I can almost guarantee if you follow the league closely for the past decade, you had a feeling in the pit of your stomach that just wouldn't go away. It really took time to start fading. Uh, I still have it right now. It's It's gotten better since Sunday. But, I mean, like, like it's, it's I, I, you don't know how to... Like, Human beings aren't good with dealing with grief in general, but when someone's taken away from you at such a young age, 41 years old, I mean, you, you just collapse, right? And um, it was one of those moments where, like, you kind of re, you kind of value everything in your life, you know. I thought Shaq on Inside the NBA put it great, uh, perfectly in that tribute, like, you know, love your family, love everyone close to you. You don't know what's going to happen um, in the next couple of years. You know, like you, you just don't. Like life isn't planned. And um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was definitely a moment to make you reflect. And we are back. Change of plans. Uh, we are here with Forrest Walker at Do Not on Twitter. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm here. Uh, pretty good. It's it's it. Things have been all right. So, I feel like it's only fair since I spent the first 13 minutes of the podcast uh, <laughs> discussing Kobe Bryant uh, that we get another perspective and hear what you have to say about, obviously, his tragic passing, the passing of his daughter, everybody else on that helicopter, and his, his life, his career, whatever you want to go go with it, you know, shoot. Sure. Uh, so... The first thing I say is that anything, almost anything I had to say, other people have said uh, better and uh, with more resonance 
So I'm I'm not really going to get into uh, into the the what everyone else has said. Uh, he will indeed be missed and was a huge impact on the league. Uh, and it's truly a uh, truly truly tragic, especially that uh, that uh, more than just him, but there were eight other people on the helicopter who passed on, uh, including his daughter, who seemed primed to do great things. Uh, the, the thing I. The, the thing I've been feeling about this that I think is worth saying, and I haven't heard people saying very much, is that I've uh, actually been very enthused, I guess, hopeful about the responses to this. It seems like a lot of people, uh, a lot of public figures in public situations uh, have been allowing themselves to be vulnerable and to process this and to like better themselves publicly in a way which I think has been very good to see. I mean, we've seen people like Shaquille O'Neal processing this uh, without any shame, and as well there should be none. Uh, I think that there's and there, people's reflections on him and his life and on the way that one can uh, improve themselves and learn from past uh, trials and tribulations has been really good to see to me uh, that he was a complicated man with a lot of different, a lot of different aspects to him. Uh, some good, some bad, but I, I do feel like the response to this has been extremely positive in general. Uh, and I'm actually very impressed with a lot of people for allowing themselves to, to not only feel, how they feel, but to personally grow due to it. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I thought the response was pretty. I mean, for as, as as good as it can be for something tragic like this, it was pretty good. Like there was, I, I there were no missteps along the way. The only thing, if I were to nitpick, um, you know, people calling for the Lakers to win one for Kobe, that 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 kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. Like as if the Lakers couldn't win this year, that that <laughs> doesn't. Like, it's it's just a, a gray area, you know. You you don't want to go there, um, but yeah, I, I I largely agree with you. I, I think the responses have been generally positive, and, and you know the the complications with his life have been discussed. I think appropriately, if you went to the proper channels, you know, gave time for the story to breathe. Um, every part of his life was discussed, and uh, I the part you mentioned about Shaq really resonated with me. Because I talked about that at the top of the podcast. Like, guys, if you, like, love your loved ones. Like, it's really simple and it's really stupid to say. But it, it, I feel like it should be said. Like, appreciate them while they're here. You don't, Life can't be planned. Um, you know, everyone in your life you haven't talked to in a long time, please go out, go out, take the time to go reach out to them. You, you just never know, you know. Like, and not to say that you're expecting something bad to happen, but just, you know, like, cherish everyone you have around you and um when something like this does happen you know you can obviously you'll still be very sad but you won't have the you know that kind of pit in the bottom of your stomach of oh, i haven't talked to this guy in six years you know you you won't have you, you'll have the proper appreciation for everyone around you and you'll live a happier life yeah, uh, tell people the things you need to tell them, uh, and it seems like a lot of people are internalizing this, and that's that's something uh, good for those of us who are here that can come of something like this. Yeah, um, 
And this is kind of a goofy segue. I mean, I saw Kendrick Perkins reach out to Kevin Durant on Twitter after their very public <laughs> squirrel. Um, but I thought that's actually, you know, a good example of, some, of, you know, like some of the beefs we have in life are just really not important. Like they're they're really dumb. And when you boil it down, like there are much, much more important things than to argue about the stupid things that we argue about. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of perspective going around right now, and I think that's really good. All right, let's get to some much uh, brighter news, I guess. I, I, don't know, I don't know how one can possibly transition from that, but uh, this is a Rockets podcast, so we should at some point discuss the Houston Rockets. Um, some news this week for the Rockets. Eric Gordon was moved into the starting lineup, and McLemore was moved back to the bench. This looks like it was in the works for a while. Ben McLemore's minutes had been steadily declining over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I, you know, personally, I, I never really understood why he was in the starting lineup. Uh, I, ben McLemore is a nice find for the Rockets, good player, but there's a difference between a good NBA player and a starting caliber NBA player. Uh, no offense to McLemore, again, good player. I, I, I think, uh, I, I think there are you know players on, on the Rockets that are more deserving of that spot, specifically Gordon and Daniel House. Uh, either one, it doesn't really matter. I, as long as it's the starting small forward is one of the six most important players on the team, uh, that's really all that matters. And I think Ben McLemore was uh, not one of those six most important players. Yeah, he's he's been doing really good stuff this season, but that's uh, in large part relative to his role. You know, uh, he is he's proven himself to be a uh, reliable rotation guy. But like I said, it's different from being a starting caliber guy. And they gave him a shot as a starter. I think, you know, that it was well deserved that they would give him that that try. But uh, this lineup makes more sense to me, too. Yeah. And it seems like the Rockets were doing this because they it, it helped their substitution pattern a lot more. Like you could very cleanly fit in Austin Rivers and Eric Gordon as the starting backcourt off the bench. Uh, and Daniel House at backup power forward, but I mean, just because it makes your rotations better doesn't mean it's it's the best way to go about things. Like uh, I I just thought you know Gordon and House were more deserving. The Rockets in general have been doing a lot of experimentation lately. I mean, and it's kind of troubling that it's game forty five and they're still kind of experimenting to the level that they have been. Like uh, the the other bit of news I have down here is Uber Suber tiny small ball uh because <laughs> i the, the the lineup they played out there uh last was the smallest lineup since 1962 in nba history so like actively really 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 tiny and um they they just don't want to play isaiah Arnstein. uh they played pj tucker at center and at backup center they played Tabo Cephalosha, which is interesting because Cephalosha had been out of the rotation for a while, and it looks like they found a, a way to kind of sneak him in there. And when I asked Mike D'Antoni about this, I mean, it, it seems like they just want to get Russ and James going, but specifically Russ. Like, they want to get those drives to the basket. And, you know, Russ has been really, really good as of late, uh, and that should probably be another news item. He's been, like... He's been Russell Westbrook. Like he, like the start of the year, he was like not a like he was playing. To to put into perspective how badly he was playing, like statistically, he was like a below average starting point guard. Uh, and now he's playing like you know closer to an all star caliber guard. Uh, and 
that's really helped the Rockets. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people making the correlation between how Russell Westbrook seems to have his best games when James Harden doesn't. And I, I honestly don't think those two things are related or the fact that, you know, the Rockets record isn't as great when he has like 30 points or more. I just think it, it's a case of circumstance. I think the reason the Rockets lost all those games has more to do to do with their defense than anything with Russ. But yeah, he's been playing really well, and this small lineup is a way to get him going, him and James going. Uh, James has been bad, uh, and I guess we could talk about that here. <laughs> uh, well, so I want to hit a couple of points. One, about the extremely small lineup they played. If I remember correctly, the the, the previous time this happened, they said 1962, was also on a January 31st, which is very odd. Uh, secondly... Uh, Russ playing great, uh, not shooting any threes, and that I think it is indeed connected to why he's been uh, so much more effective lately. Somehow they finally, someone finally got through to him that he needs to uh, just do what he's good at and not do what he's bad at, and uh, that's been really nice to see, and also seemingly to see for anybody who likes Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up about Russ's and his shot distribution. It, it, the change was really abrupt, and I had the kind of same feeling that you did about how it seems like someone talked to him, but when, when you ask around, it seems like it was a Russ decision. Like, I'm just going to stop shooting threes, which is even more interesting. Um, <laughs> the fact that he had that kind of self-awareness to, to go ahead and be like, you know what, Like this is just not me. I have to get to the basket, and the only shots I should take are mid-range jumpers because they, they more than likely lead to drives than, than three-point three jumpers for Russ. Um, and it's really cleaned up his shot profile. It, he's much more efficient. He's getting closer to career norms uh, for efficiency, which is actually abnormal for what he's been the past couple of years. He, he's actually more efficient like just true shooting percentage wise than he was last season by like three percentage points because of this run. Um, and you know, yeah, he's playing, he's playing well. He's playing like, he's playing like the guard that the Rockets like traded Chris Paul for, right? Like it, it was starting to look really dicey at the beginning of the year. Like, yeah, like Chris Paul might be better, but to this extent, like the Rockets really shot themselves in the foot and, you know, may, may, now they have a better case for making the trade. Um, and yeah, I mean like, so the, for going back to the small ball thing, do you have a problem with Isaiah not playing? Because a lot of people do. Uh, I don't really get why he's not playing at all. Uh, like, I'm not. It's not that I'm, I'm. I'm not like mad about it. It's just kind of confusing, especially given when they don't have Clint Capella. It seems like that would be a reasonable time for him to get at least some minutes. So I don't. I. I. It. It's mostly confusion. I don't really understand why it is that he's not getting any minutes at all lately, especially given that not long ago, uh, Mike D'Antoni seemed to be high on him playing somewhat in the rotation. Yeah. I'm kind of where you're at. Like, I'm not bothered by it, but I do think Isaiah has earned his keep. Like, I think I think he's good enough to play 10 to 15 minutes a game in the regular season. I don't think he's a postseason player yet. Like, I just, like, I, like, I don't, I like, if he falls out of the rotation completely in, in the playoffs as well, like, I don't even, like, I would not fault Mike D'Antoni for that. Like, I, I don't know how you can possibly justify playing him in the postseason. But in the regular season, when the, when, the Rockets actively need tall bodies. Like, yeah, I would play him. Like, I, I think he's, I think he's an NBA caliber backup center. 
And I think um, I think he can rebound the ball well. He definitely hustles really, really well. Uh, he there's never an e- issue with effort with him. And um, yeah, I, th- I think he's good enough to play, but he's just not playing. And uh, the Rockets uh, need tall bodies, and they've resorted to this uh, small ball lineup, which I think it, it's it's nice in spurts. But I think the amount of work they're having to put on PJ Tucker's shoulders is a little bit unhealthy. And what I mean by that is, like, if you look at past seasons where the Rockets have had success with P.J. Tucker at center, like, percentage-wise, they weren't playing him this much at center. Like, 25% of P.J. Tucker's minutes are at the center position this season. That's a lot. Like, that's a lot. And that was from a couple weeks ago. I haven't checked as of late. Like, it might even be higher now. It almost certainly is. Like, they, his, his minutes in prior years were, like, five to ten percent of his minutes at center and so that jump is a uh, it's a little eyebrow raising uh that the 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 amount of work they're they're putting on him is um is a little worrisome and like i remember writing an article last year about pj tucker and how the workload actively affected his three-point percentages like he the 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 more tired his legs got i mean no surprise his three-point percentage dropped and dropped and dropped as quarters went by um so, you know, the sooner the Rockets can get tall bodies in, in their rotation, and starting with getting Clint Capella healthy, like, the better. Yeah, uh, they they need bodies and size. And like I said, I don't, you know, he he seems like he could be useful. So we'll, maybe at some point we'll understand what it is that is uh, preventing him. I mean, we've seen him. We've seen him not play great in past, but he's looked better lately. So it definitely seems like he's worth a shot, and uh, they could use you know some some minutes from a guy like him. But maybe he'll start playing, or maybe we'll find out that he uh, I don't know he he hates uh, Mike D'Antoni's cooking or something. <laughs> or also like the, there's also this this whole other thing of like we're not watching Isaiah. T- Hardenstein every day in practice like even media isn't allowed to watch practice so we don't know what's going on there and if he's performing to to task in practice so you know that's a big pretty big component that coaches lean pretty heavy heavily on like Daniel House you pretty much out of the blue came into the rotation last year and it was largely because of what he was doing in practice uh so if um if he's not performing there it's probably why he's not playing that's my best guess you know like i again like i there's also the possibility that just mike just does not trust anyone under the age of 25 and uh <laughs> and, and that's not unique for head nba head coaches that's actually pretty common but um yeah it's de- it's it, they could definitely use someone to play backup center right right now yeah well uh i guess we'll listen to wait and see um, let's talk about Clint Capella for a second because we briefly touched on it. So his right heel has flared up a bunch of times over the past, like in January alone, like he's missed a bunch of random games where the Rockets have had to pull him. Like he's been like a late scratch and you know, I'm I'm not sure if it's something to, to worry about because it, it, he's played through it. Like he's played through the pain, but it seems like the Rockets may take the long-term approach here because they're they're actively planning ahead to play uh, PJ Tucker at center and this this small ball unit for them for their next few games. Like they're 
their next game, they already ruled Clint Capella out. And I have a feeling he's going to be out the next game. So you're talking about um, that's pretty close to all-star break. And, you, and if he... It might it might be prudent just to rest him all the way till the All Star break and let him get healthy. What say you? I mean, look, that's that's going to be their main concern right now. Uh, the, winning regular season games is obviously not the highest priority on their list, right? Uh, and health is health probably should be. Clint has not looked the same since this heel injury came along, and and he's been in and out of the rotation. Yeah, I think they just need him to be healthy and ready to go. I mean, maybe don't don't rest him so long that his conditioning falls off, but there's not really a chance of that, I don't think. Like, the All-Star break is so soon. Uh, it's probably would be good for him to have a little bit of time off and get to heal up slightly. It might also be good for James Harden to have a little bit of time off and deal with whatever it is he's dealing with. Well, he, Harden's played better of late. Um and what I mean by that is literally the last game, right? Like, uh, he's, um, his effort's been a, been a big issue. And, you know, Mike, he, you know, he's hinted at, you know, maybe he's dealing with something, but he hasn't really confirmed to us what's going on. Um, I, I don't think it's inju- an injury thing. I just think for some reason he's in Spurs game six mode in a lot of these games where he's just actively, like, not trying on both ends. And just looks, I mean, to put it crudely, he looks concussed. Like he just looks, like I don't, like he just looks like a ghost out there. Uh, his obviously his shots not falling, and that'll go in eventually. But but even when his shots not falling, he's not actively trying to get to the rim or find open teammates or try even like ten percent on defense. Like he's just you know letting guys line drive by him. Uh, it, it, it's it's. It's something to watch. Uh, he last game he started to try on offense. So he obviously took a bunch of shots in that first quarter, seven field goal attempts, um, and he ended the game pretty efficient. He was, you know, he was like six of fifteen or something from three, or six of fourteen, whatever. He you, he was pretty efficient from beyond the arc. So he's starting to get his three point stroke back. But defensively, like the Rockets are trying to make a push here because there's only so much season left. And if the Rockets, again, I, I hate to keep hammering this home, if they really want to be a true contender, they have to try to get to that top 10, uh, try to get to a top 10 defense. And it's not helping that Harden's playing like this. It's not helping that he's playing like 2014 James Harden, where, you know, guys made fun of him and made YouTube videos about him, right? Like, that, that's 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 not a help. Yeah, uh, I think that's right, and I don't know what they do within this team to get to that point. I mean, they've shown flashes that they can have a good defense. Uh, Clint getting healthy and James getting over whatever is going on with him will certainly help a lot. But yeah, they they I think I'm still of the belief that they need another guy to really be able to hold this defense together, uh, and it doesn't have to be like you know, a world beater type guy. They don't need like a, even this like a, uh, a solid starter. They just need a solid rotation player who can defend on the wing and grab some boards. And I think that'll help not a lot, but like, I agree with you that they need to get this defense together. There's too many games where they just totally like, they just lose the rope on the defensive end and they start giving up wide open corner threes and stuff like that. And just, 
they'll let any team back into any game. And I know that this is a league-wide phenomenon right now, and there are reasons for that, but the Rockets are worse than most about this. All right, I mentioned it at the top, but we're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Bet Online. Miss your chance to win big by betting on the Super Bowl? Fear not, listener. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up, it's super easy, and if you're making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support the podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Alright, that's a pretty clean transition to our next subject, the NBA trade deadline. So, the trade deadline is Thursday, February 6th, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2 p.m. Central for the Houston listeners. This is going to be an interesting deadline for the Rockets in that I I sat down and thought about it this afternoon, and this is really, like, the only time Maury's, like, he's scraping the barrel here. Like, he has nothing to work with in terms of trade assets. And I've thought about it. I, I can't find any other time where he's literally had like his first round pick and that's it and not much salary to work with like the Rockets have traded future first round picks before obviously but the scarcity of picks combined with their current roster situation combined with like the amount of contracts they have available to trade like that's unheard of for for a Daryl Morey team it kind of speaks to how deep into trying to win a title they are like they've traded everything pretty much they don't have much like to work with like it, when, when you look at the Rockets roster at Summer League they had no young prospects they had Isaiah Hardenstein and that's it yeah, and and at, at the deadline they're pretty much going to have Nene's contract their 2020 first round pick, which it looks like according to Jonathan Fagan, the widespread assumption is that they're going to try and move that for a good player. And, you know, I guess Tabo Cephalosha or Tyson Chandler, like those are decent salary fillers and those guys don't need to be asked before they're traded. Like as, as opposed to Gerald Green and Austin Rivers, like I guess, you know, you're working with Nene, Tabo and Tyson and that's it in terms of assets. Like the Rockets are, unless they touch their core players they don't have much to work with at the deadline here yeah they just don't have any salary uh and that has been one of the uh one of the weirdest things but it makes sense like you said they've been they've been shooting for a title for a while and that involves uh using up all of those mid-range salaries and you know prospect players and stuff and your future draft picks uh and more importantly uh allowing your salary to be comprised of primarily your star and core players uh, and, you know, as you have to keep giving guys raises to keep them around, eventually you don't have much room to work with and you end up having a lot of better uh, minimum style players. But you can't trade those guys, even if these are all right, even if these are players that other teams want. And I'm not even going to say that's necessarily true about the the better minimum players the Rockets have, because the ones that other teams want are also the ones that the Rockets want. But uh, the, the difficulty is the salary, right? They They can't. 
as you said, unless they were to move one of their core players, unless they move like Eric Gordon or Clint Capella, they really can't get very much back unless they just pile together up a whole lot of salaries. You know, like like a lot of trade moves for a decent player end up having to include someone at least as important as Daniel House to make to make anything get done. And while Daniel House is definitely not untouchable, uh, that's you know that that's a bigger piece of the rotation than you'd like to move to pick up one more rotation player. So you're right. This is this is a this is a hard space for Mori to be in, both because he has he doesn't have much to work with. And also, it does feel like there's a there's a lot on the line this season. He really needs to make this work because who knows who is in what hot seats, you know? Can you remember a time in his tenure where he's been this cornered? I don't think so. I mean, we I'd have to go back and look at his like tenure before the Rockets to figure out what, what even uh, if there even is anything like that back there. But he wasn't, you know, th- this this seems to be probably it. And th- the team feels cornered in a way too, not just Daryl Morey. Yeah, and I guess you can point to that forty-one and forty-one season where they fired Kevin McHale and they had all that salary cap space to work with, and they had to nail their signings and get back to you know re- respectability. I, I guess you can point to that, but I mean. Even then, they had assets to work with. Um, and at this point, like, they, again, like, the Westbrook trade annihilated, like, the re- their future <laughs> prospects. Like, they have, you know, like, this, this is kind of why I talk about, like, roster spots as such a valuable commodity for the Rockets, because that's pretty much all they have. They have to nail their ro- like what they do with the back end of their roster spots. Like so if you find someone who just isn't like who might be an NBA player or kind of you're, you're not really sure, like you're better off cutting it if you're in a position like the Rockets cuz that roster spot can go so- go to someone else who can definitely help you. So like when people, you know, get upset up for the, at the Rockets for like waving Gary Clark or something, right? Like I'm just kind of like, yeah, like that roster spot is valuable and he's taking it up and someone else could get it. Right, like some someone else that can actually help this team right now, and potentially they, they can resign for a cheap deal next summer. Like that's more valuable than Gary Clark. Like the the Rockets are in a position where they can hold on to prospects and let them you know grow at their own rate. Like they like they can't afford. They don't have the time. They, they they're in. They're a veteran team. Like they have to have everyone on the roster be good, and um, that that's kind of where I feel like this trade deadline's heading. Like, I think they're going to, they're 100% going to trade Nene. Like, that's, if you, if you look <laughs> that's at... That's what he's there for. <laughs> yeah. If you look at, if you look at players in the NBA, I'm not sure you can find one player on any roster that is more likely to be traded at this deadline than Nene. Like, it's, like, it's, it's such a foregone conclusion that it's going to be traded. It's not even funny. Um, and the, the only real question here is, like, are they going to dump him or are they going to get someone back are they, are they going to use the salary to get someone back and, you know, attach a first-round pick, get a significant player? Uh, you know, my suspicion is they're going to try to do the latter, but it would not surprise me if they, you know, if they throw in a couple second-round picks or one second-round pick and some cash considerations to try to dump his salary. Or they, they, It would not surprise me if they don't uh, trade him for somebody good. Yeah, uh, especially given that their attempt to make his salary some kind of weird trade exception was uh, summarily dismissed by the NBA over summer. 
and he's now writing the bench so that they don't have to ever deal with those those uh those incentives that uh, yeah it's it's if he was not traded i'd be extremely shocked and he they'll be able to unload him uh one way or another uh let's talk about this rumor that surfaced uh this week with uh shams Tarania, where he reported that uh the atlanta hawks are interested in in clint capella i'm just gonna say this like the Rockets don't make major moves in season. They just don't. Like, like it. I would be floored if they t- if they move James Harden, uh, Russell Westbrook, Clint Capella, or PJ Tucker at the deadline. I would I would be floored. And obviously, they can't move Eric Gordon. Like they, I would be completely shocked if they moved somebody. At, like they they may like if you're talking about a significant roster move like that, that is something they're more likely to do in the off season. Like, and I'm not sure like. If you can get, obviously you can get something for Clint Capella, but I'm not sure if you can get as much value right now as you can in the summer. And I'm not like again, like you're gonna have to replace a lot there. Like Clint Capella is so important to this Rockets team even now. Like their pick and roll attack is obviously they don't run as much pick and roll anymore, but even when they do run pick and roll or when they're running even isolation, like having Clint Capella in the dunker spot is such a floor vacuum for the Rockets. He's such a release valve um, when te- when teams crowd around Westbrook and Harden. Like it, he's so important to what they do. I would be shocked. Like I, I really would. Like I, I know there are a lot of people that have you know got their trade machines out, and you're starting to see it. You know, fantasizing trading Clint Capella to this team in a, an X team trade. You know where the Rockets get back player X and player Y. You know and attach pick X like. I I would be shocked if the Rockets make a move like that. It really would. Like I think it's gonna. Be, you're more likely to see a smaller move where Nene is dealt, and they get a role, a good role player back, and then they scour the buyout market. Like some similar to what they did last year with acquiring Iman Shumpert, and then scouring the buyout market for Austin Rivers and Kenneth Fareed. Now I'm not sure if they're gonna get as lucky. You know, like with last year's buyout market, they got really lucky. Like Austin Rivers obviously chose them. Um, and, you know, they, they managed to scoop up Kenneth Freed uh, later on. But, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's going to be their strategy this year. Yeah, I think that sounds all right. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people seem ready to uh, jump ship on Clint Capella. And Break I don't, it up. Break yeah. it up. <laughs> and, and Clint specifically, a lot of people seem, like, sick of him for – I'm not sure exactly why. I mean, he's had a couple of bad playoff performances, but it seems to be mostly he's looked he's looked bad since he has that heel injury. But that's an injury, you know. You can't you can't really count that against him. So I I, I don't I don't see them trading Clint. He's such an important part of what they're doing, and it it it's just an inviting disaster to try to make a, a move that big right now. I I. You don't know how it's going to work out. He's such a core piece of the team, and who who are they going to get? You know, if if they were going to get someone who's like just who's a, like a third star, I can see it. But they're not going to get that. They don't have the kind of resources. It would be a guy who's about as good as Clint, maybe a little bit better at most, and that just doesn't seem like it's worth the uh, worth the risk to do that to me. So. I I think they want to find that like last rotation defender, and I think they can do that with what they have. It just depends on who they're gonna pick and like how much we don't let our expectations get out of control. You know, we're not gonna get prime Andre Iguodala on the team. That's not what's gonna happen. Uh, this, this this trade deadline, 
but hey, they might get you know someone else who can fit into a into a trade exception or something. Yeah, like maybe Markeith Morris, you know, Bielita. You know, there's some there's some decent names in the market. Yeah, I think what you said is right. Like the Rock, you know, Rockets fans have to lower their expectations here. Like they, uh, again, with the, with the limited assets that they have, they're they're, they're just not. They're not in a position to acquire much, and if you trade, like the Rockets are, the Rockets need height. They're not going to go out and trade the only t- guy above six nine that's on their roster, right? Like they, they need that. If anything, they're, they're tr- actively looking for someone who's taller than PJ Tucker right now, right? Like that, that, that that's what they're <laughs> that that that's what their priorities at the dead at the deadline lie. Like not getting rid of someone who fills a very big need for you. Like, if the Rocket trade Clinton Bell, like, they immediately have to look for another a, a replacement player. Like, that trade would have to include someone like Daniel Tice or somebody. Like, you, you'd have to get someone to, to plug that hole in really quickly. And if you do, I mean, I, I just... I think you're significantly hurting your starting your rotation, your starting lineup. And, and you know, you may help your bench, but at what cost? You know, I, 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 I don't think it's... Um, I don't think it's fruitful to explore that kind of a trade right now for the Rockets, and I don't think they will. Like, I, it, it would shock me. It would it would really shock me if they do. It would be similar to when the the, Rap, the Raptors traded Valanciunas at the deadline last year, which also shocked me. Like, like it would have to be that kind of a trade where you're getting someone veteran and proven back. And I'm not sure if someone like Marcus Hall is available for the Rockets to to be had, and you know. It, It'll, it'll certainly be fascinating to see what kind of direction they move in, but I feel like I feel like we kind of already know what direction they're going to move in. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's just a matter of seeing which of these players they pick up, and there are quite a few of these type of guys around the league who are good, not great, and fit in that salary spot and can do some amount of wing play. So uh, we'll probably be surprised though. I feel like we're always surprised at the trade deadline with Houston that Maury never does the thing everyone's expecting, but always something that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, for the most part, I'm expecting, you know, I'm expecting them to do something, obviously, because Nene's contract forces them to do something, and, and they're they're just not good enough right now, so they have to do something. But I don't think it's going to be something major. So I, you know, if I were a Rockets, like I would temper my expectations because I, I just, I just don't think they're going to move anybody in that starting lineup. Like I, just, I really don't. I, I would be shocked. Um, you know, the the most, I, I'll say this. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move House. Like, like Daniel House is a good player, and um, you know, obviously the Rockets would prefer to keep him. But I mean, if 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 there is a deal to be had. Where you can get you know two quality veterans in in that you know in place of House and Nene, I think they do it. You know, I that's that's the kind of trade I I would see, I could see happening at most. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he is probably about the the most important player on the team that they would be comfortable trading. Uh, I would like to see House stick around just because I like him, but. Uh, that that a trade there could make sense, and so people should not be uh don't be surprised and don't be I guess trying to be sad if that happens. Yeah, um, I I think that about covers everything, right? Can you think of anything? Uh, nothing fun. <laughs> we could talk about how how nasty things have been lately, but I think we've already seen plenty of that. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good ending point as any. Uh, subscribe to the Radio Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SoulMollyNBA. Follow Forrest on Twitter at DoNuts. Yeah, guys. Good night.